Hey everyone, welcome. Thank you so much for letting us into your space today. We wanted to let you know we have a lot going on here at Christ Community, especially this fall. So we encourage you to visit our website, go to the coming up page, scroll through. There is something for everybody, yes. I promise you. Also, please like and subscribe our channel. That way when we have more content rolling out, you know about it. So we hope you enjoy the message today. Hello, everyone. So glad you're here. Welcome to our college students. Welcome back. We love you guys. We missed you. And, and welcome to those who may be new to UNC and are checking out Christ Community. We have some real cool stuff uh, going on for college students um, that you're going to hear. You can hear more about after the service today. I'm gonna, I'll give you some more information in a bit. So we're in a teaching series where we're walking through the book of 1 Corinthians in the Bible. And we find ourselves in the midst of this uncomfortably long section in which Paul addresses the issue of sex. And by the way, parents, um, this message, as the last few have been, is going to deal with sexual themes, and so feel free to utilize our amazing children's ministry. Um, Paul spends three whole chapters, chapters five, six, and seven, talking very openly and honestly about sexuality, which I find very refreshing. We live in a society that talks about and focuses on sex all the time. And yet in the church, it seems like we tend to avoid the subject, even though it is very much a part of our lives and our stories. And so I want to thank you for showing up. Thank you for your willingness to walk verse by verse through this whole book and this section um, of this book and to look at what God says about sex and about sexuality. And I, look, I realize this topic is sensitive and it's complex and it can be triggering. So again, as, as we have each week, I just want to remind us that God's heart is for our wholeness and our healing. His grace is big enough to meet us in our failures and our sexual brokenness. And my prayer throughout this whole section has been that, that each of our hearts would really just be open to what the, the Spirit would want to speak to us in this uncomfortable and yet important area in our lives. For the past two weeks, uh, we've been looking at chapter six, where Paul paints this stark contrast between God's narrative of, our se of sexuality and the world's narrative and why it can be so damaging when we remove it from God's loving design. If you missed um, the either of the last two messages, I encourage you to listen to them because they really provide a foundation for what we're talking about today. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, verses one to five, Paul shifts gears a bit and he begins to talk specifically about sex in marriage, which is really important. You know, sometimes in the church, we only talk about sex as something to be avoided until marriage, um, but we don't really talk much about what a healthy sexual relationship within a marriage looks like. And I think that's really sad. We just sort of assume that sex in marriage is going to be great, but the reality is sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's an area of struggle and difficulty and frustration. Oftentimes, you know, or other times I should say, it's an area that gets neglected or, or just put on autopilot. And so in these verses here, Paul mentions some critical aspects of a healthy sex life in marriage. Now, before we jump in here, I'm very aware, it's college weekend, right? I'm very aware we have people in this room who are not married or people who are watching this that are not married and, and maybe wondering, how, is, how does this apply to me? Um, look, it can apply in multiple ways. 
If you're single and wanting to be married someday, take good notes, okay? The series, I wish I would have heard this sermon when I was in college and single. Knowing God's heart for sexuality and marriage would have been so helpful for me when I eventually got married some six years later. Often as singles, we have this idea that sex and marriage is going to be simple and easy. But again, it's often not. It's delicate. It takes a lot of intentionality. And maybe by hearing what we're talking about today, you can learn things that will set you up for something so much better in the future. And even if you have no interest in being married, your stage of life where you're not going to be married again, what, you have no interest in being married, you will very likely have opportunities to help other married people you know who maybe come to you, friends who come to you with struggles in this area. And so I hope for all of us here, married and single, that all of us here can find things in this message that will be beneficial for ourselves, for our future selves, or for other people around us. And by the way, next week, Paul focuses on singleness and and he provides a much needed correction for all of us in the church in terms of of singleness. And so I'm I'm excited about us addressing that next week. Okay, chapter seven begins with a question that this church in Corinth had sent to the apostle Paul in a previous letter. And the question has to do with sex in marriage. And so in these first five verses of chapter seven, Paul specifically addresses this issue And in doing so, he makes two very powerful assertions. The first assertion is about the importance of sex in marriage. The importance of sex in marriage. Look with me at verse one. Now for the matters you wrote about, so they wrote this letter and he's quoting, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Paul's quoting from something that the Corinthians had sent to him in a previous letter. Apparently, there were some super spiritual people in the church at Corinth who had concluded that, look, in in the light of the danger of sexual immorality and all that, sex should just be avoided altogether. Thus, this phrase, it is good for a woman not to have, or for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. These people in the church felt that sex was bad, even in marriage, and that truly spiritual people would have nothing to do with it. So Paul responds to this in verse two, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with their own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. So in response to these people who believe it's more spiritual to avoid sex altogether, Paul says, no, sex is a vital part of a marriage relationship. It is something that God commands and desires to happen within a marriage. Now on the surface, It sounds like, seems like, the only reason Paul urges people, married people to have sex is to avoid sexual immorality. And that's certainly part of Paul's argument here. In the midst of a culture where sexual immorality is celebrated and incredibly accessible, Paul recognized that one of the reasons for married couples to make sex a priority in their relationship is to help each other avoid the damage caused by sexual immorality. immorality. But that's not the only reason. Just a few verses earlier in chapter six, when Paul was talking about why we shouldn't have sex with a prostitute, he says, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. See, Paul's argument 
as to why to stay away from prostitutes is also an articulation of why sex in marriage is so important. It is a uniting of two people in a supernatural, soul-connected way. Paul quotes here from Genesis 2 when God brings Adam and Eve together for the first time and Adam is like, wow, you know, she's the bomb. I mean, he is overjoyed. And then the text says this, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. See that verse we just read, that is without question the foundational passage regarding God's view of marriage. This is where the whole idea of marriage began. A man and a woman leaving their family and cleaving to one another to create a new, exclusive, and permanent loving union. And in this union where these two people have committed themselves exclusively to each other for life, we are told that they will become one flesh. From the beginning, sexual intimacy was designed to be a vital part of, a, of the marital relationship. Our culture didn't invent sex. God invented sex for an amazing and beautiful purpose, to bless and pour into and deepen the relational connection between two people who have committed themselves to each other for life. It is a beautiful expression of vulnerability and authenticity. No walls, no hiding. Each person offering themselves to the other as an expression of genuine love. See, sex is an incredible gift God has given to married couples to enjoy and celebrate and to deepen their connection with one another. It is a tangible way to cultivate oneness. I mean, there, there is something so beautiful and powerful about connected sex with the person you have exclusively committed yourself to for life. Our society's view of sex completely misses this. In a, in a culture of hookups and sex chats and porn videos, our, our culture has completely removed sex from its original purpose of committed love and made it all about self-centered pleasure. And see, that, that's what the enemy loves to do. Take God's good gifts and twist them and distort them and then use them to hurt and damage people. But God's vision for sexuality has not changed. He longs for husbands and wives to fully enjoy and experience the blessing of sexual union in their marriage, which is why Paul here in chapter 7 so strongly implores married people to have sex with each other regularly. Paul is, is, is emphasizing how important sex is to a marriage. It's something both husband and wife are to choose to give priority to. Now, this is often where struggles arise because sometimes husbands and wives have different perspectives on what making sex a priority actually means in terms of frequency, right? Um, and, and these different expectations can create tension and frustration in this area. And, and sometimes it can kind of become this power struggle, one spouse withholding sex from the other as a way of control or, or uh, uh, one spouse using this verse to demand sex from their spouse. It's biblical, come on, you know, that, that whole thing. But, but that misses the heart of what Paul is talking about here. 
It, it, it's not about demanding or coercing or manipulating anything. That actually undermines the beautiful purpose of sex and marriage. Paul's talking about both spouses choosing to recognize the importance of this area in their marriage and being willing to give priority to it. Okay, so what might this look like? I know of some couples that find scheduling a regular time for sexual intimacy is helpful. It helps make sure that it doesn't get neglected over time. And it can also help one or both spouses emotionally and physically prepare for coming together sexually. Not everyone, you know, not, that doesn't resonate with everyone, but some couples find that helpful to make it a priority. Another absolutely critical aspect of making this a greater priority in marriage is to talk about it, to not let anger and frustration and hurts build but instead to talk about how we're feeling about our sexual relationship. And look, I know this is hard to do. Sexuality is such a vulnerable area. It feels so vulnerable to talk about this, but, it, but we need to. A healthy sexual relationship in a marriage doesn't just happen. It requires attention and communication. We need to learn how to be able to talk openly and honestly about our sexual relationship, asking each other, how are you feeling about this area? How are we doing in this area? Is this, is this a priority in our marriage? Is this happening regularly? And if not, let's talk about why that is. See, sometimes it's just busyness or stage of life stuff that by talking it through, we can just problem solve. Hey, let's, let's change our schedule. Let's have a date or whatever. We, you know, just sometimes it's just that. Communication can help just problem solve. But there are also other things that might be contributing to one spouse having a diminished desire for sex in their marriage. There might be a medical thing going on for men or women. Guys, testosterone levels in men are at the lowest level they have been in decades Men, there is no shame in going to the doctor and getting this checked out. Your lack of sexual desire might, be, might simply be a, a simple hormone adjustment that could have an immediate impact. Don't wait years or decades to get this checked out. And this also might improve other areas of your mental health and energy levels. For women, sometimes sex is physically painful. So just upping the frequency of sex is not gonna help. In fact, it's gonna decrease even more her desire for sex. It is worth it to see a doctor to find out if there is something medically going on that is causing pain or that's contributing to a lack of desire for sex. In addition to medical issues, there also might be issues from our past that are impacting our ability to enjoy or desire sex. Maybe the trauma of, of sexual abuse or maybe betrayal. Those are real issues that can have such a huge impact on our desire for and our experience of sex in our marriage. They are issues that God wants us to address so that our marriage can be all that God wants it to be. And so I urge you to see a Christian counselor and begin working through these issues. And if you're the spouse, your patience and love are a huge part of this journey. 
Now, another very significant cause of losing desire for sex and marriage is emotional disconnection with our spouse. For most women, sexual desire is not just a switch that can be turned on and off at a moment's notice. So if if a husband has been neglecting his wife's heart all week, not taking any time to listen to her or touch her in non-sexual ways or to help with stuff around the house or with the kids or whatever, her desire to connect sexually with her husband is going to be significantly diminished. And to the husband, this feels like rejection. So he perhaps withdraws because he senses her withdrawing, so he withdraws, which creates more distance. And then when a husband doesn't pursue his wife sexually, she often feels rejection, wondering why her husband doesn't desire her. And all of a sudden, there is this smoldering stew of distance and hurt and disappointment and anger festering on both sides of the relationship. And over time, this disconnect just grows, which is why, again, why it is so important to talk about these things. It's so important for each spouse to feel safe in sharing openly and honestly what they're feeling and then to be heard by by their spouse and then to begin talking about ways to to work on these things. And, And by the way, this is really important. We are never to shame our partner for their lack of sexual desire or shame them for their sexual desire. Rolling our eyes when they initiate sexually or making disparaging comments about wanting sex or not wanting sex. This is not about criticizing our spouse. Let me tell you, criticism will kill your sex life. It will kill your sex life in your marriage. If, and here's why. If one spouse doesn't feel like they're measuring up, if they don't feel like they're performing well enough for you, their desire for sex will tank. Sexual connection thrives and grows in an environment of honor and encouragement and patience, and kindness, and listening, and understanding? Does each person feel heard, and valued, and understood? Now, if you feel like you're having these conversations about sex, and they're never going anywhere, a conversation, you just get stuck, and increase tension, and it never goes well. If you're in that place, please, please, please reach out for help. Seriously. reach out to a pastor on our staff, reach out to an older married couple that you trust, or perhaps see a Christian counselor. And also, really, really important, don't forget to pray for this area in your marriage. Pray for God's blessing on your sexual relationship. Pray for your own heart in this. Pray for humility. Ask for God's forgiveness for any ways your self-centeredness or my self-centeredness, you know, including me here, that our self-centeredness would be contributing to this. Sometimes we're so focused on what their issue is. What if we said, God, what is, how am I contributing to this? How am I being inattentive to my spouse's heart? How am I being self-centered here? And we ask the Lord to bring that to mind and we ask for his forgiveness. Or if there's bitterness or judgment that we've made against our spouse, we need to, we need to forgive. We need to break that judgment in the name of Jesus because it's coloring our relationship. 
and we need to and we need to forgive. Unforgiveness is like a toxin in your relationship. Bring these things to the cross. Own your own part in this and let the power of the Spirit flow into your heart and into this area. In fact, it's interesting that Paul mentions prayer in this context. Look at verse 5. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. How fascinating that the one exception Paul gives in terms of giving priority to sex in our marriage is for the purpose of prayer. What if we spent some time in focused prayer for our marriage, for our sexual relationship to be all that God wants it to be? See, that prayerful posture keeps our hearts open to truly loving our spouse with patience and understanding and kindness. Now, again, I want to address, if you're not married and you want to be someday, decide now that when you do get, if you, if you do get married, you'll start this part of your relationship with patience and understanding and love, knowing how connected your spouse's heart is to your sexual relationship. You will be so glad you chose to love them in that way. Okay, so Paul's first assertion about sex and marriage is about the importance of it. We, we need to lovingly give it, a pri- give it priority. And if it's not a priority, we need to talk about it and compassionately explore, okay, what's at the root of that? That leads to the second assertion that Paul makes about sex, and that is the mutuality of sex in marriage. What Paul says next in this passage is so incredibly impactful to our experience of sexual connection with our spouse in our marriage. Okay, look at verse four. Paul says, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields to his wife. Do not deprive each other. Now, do you have any idea how radical a statement this was in the culture in which Paul was writing? In the Greco-Roman world of Corinth and in the Jewish world of that day, men were completely in charge of their marriage. They were like dictators. It was not a democracy. Women often had no voice, no say. They were there to bear children. So marriage, marriages were very one-sided in favor of men, which is what makes Paul's words here so incredible. Paul is describing a beautiful and powerful mutuality in marriage where neither partner has authority over their own body, but they lovingly yield it to one another. The wife yields to her husband and the husband yields to his wife. This mutuality is absolutely critical, but it is so often neglected, especially in Christian circles. I recently read a really insightful book called The Great Sex Rescue by Sheila Gregor. And in it, she, she, in preparation for it, she interviewed like 25,000 Christian men and women, um, husbands and wives, about sexuality. And she discovered, one of the things she discovered was how so many women in Christian marriages, they don't enjoy sex because of ideas that have been promoted under the guise of Christianity. So in the book, she she specifically points to a number of popular Christian books on marriage that basically teach this unhealthy idea that, here's a summary, because husbands have a huge sex drive and can wander easily, 
It's the wife's responsibility to provide sex whenever he wants so that he doesn't drift into sin. Notice how one-sided that view of sex in marriage is. That sex is basically for her husband, and it's not really to be enjoyed by her. And the damage this is causing is heartbreaking. See, Paul offers such a different perspective on sex in marriage. It is not one-sided. It is to be mutually satisfying, mutually enjoyable for both partners. Now, look, this, this, was, this was a significant learning for me in railing in my marriage. I went into our marriage with all these expectations about sex, not realizing that many of my expectations were all about me. So not surprisingly, in our first few years of marriage, I felt frustrated that my expectations weren't being met. I even got Raylene to go to a Christian counselor um, who I knew would take my side. Um, and boy, did that go well. Oh, honest. oh, yeah. Really recommend that. Not. Okay. Um, counseling, yes. Not with an agenda like I had. But anyway, it was all about me and my expectations being met. So in the midst of this season, I came across this book uh, entitled Men and Sex by Clifford and Joyce Penner. And it had such a significant impact on me. So in this book, the authors encourage husbands to shift their sexual focus from their own needs being met to how they can bring their wife pleasure, to let her lead, to go at her pace rather than yours. Hers is usually much slower. Focus on making the sexual experience great for her. Now, for some of you, you're like, duh, you know, you may be, you know, of course, you know, of course that's, that's how it works. Well, I, for me and for many others, this was a huge paradigm shift. I'm currently reading a more recent book. I think that one book is out of print. A more recent book it makes the same point. It's also by Sheila Gregor um, and her husband. Um, it's called The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex. Um, and they also have a book geared towards women, which will be in our resource uh, section on our app under the more area. There's a resource thing and also our QR code in our newsletter. We've mentioned a few resources um, about this area. But in this book, they share a study that found that there is a 47% climax gap between the sexual experience of men and women in marriage, Christian men and women in marriage. In other words, husbands are enjoying sex twice as much as wives. How motivating is it for a woman to have sex when she doesn't enjoy it? So what if we as husbands applied what Paul is saying here? We decided to focus on her, to go at her pace rather than ours, to ask her what she enjoys and what she doesn't enjoy. See, husbands, what you're going to find is that as your wife enjoys sex more, you will enjoy it more because it truly now is a mutual experience, which is what God designed it to be. See, Paul makes it clear that sex is to be enjoyed by both husbands and wives, and that it is that each of our responsibility in a marriage is to focus on what brings our spouse enjoyment. And what I love about this is that it invites it invites us it invites husbands and wives into a lifelong journey of communication and discovery. I mean, in so many marriages, this whole area of sex is filled with frustration with each other, guilt, hurt, anger, and disappointment as we make it a problem to be fixed. 
But what if we instead saw it as an opportunity into a journey together where we are lovingly and patiently exploring and finding out what does our spouse enjoy? I was talking with a woman friend about this sermon the other day. I was getting lots of input on this sermon. So, um, and, and she had read the sermon and, and she said, look, we get it. We as women know we're complicated. We're like a Rubik's cube. Uh, we have algorithms that are always changing. What worked last time may not work this time. We get it, you know. And now as husbands, that can either make us incredibly frustrated or it can be an invitation into a loving adventure, an ever-changing discovery of how we can love our wife in this present moment. I mean, God made us so different as men and women in terms of just arousals, uh, just the way arousal works, all that. We are so different. And that's a really good thing, but it's a challenging thing because we expect our spouse to be aroused the same way we are, to, all the, you know, just to be the same. And we're not, <laughs> which is what makes it a mutually giving experience. That's what makes it work. Marriage is an opportunity to learn about our own bodies and some of us don't even have permission for that, to what do we enjoy, you know, we, we, to learn about our own bodies and then to learn about our spouse's body and then to partner together in making sex an enjoyable experience for both, to openly share about what's working, what isn't working, what we like, what we don't like. Enjoy each other, enjoy the exploration, enjoy this gift God has given to your marriage. Okay, so here's a practical assignment. Husbands, get the Gregor's book, a Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, and read it. It's really good. I just finished it. It's really good. And learn from it about how to better meet your wife's needs. And wives, get the companion book, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, and read it. And learn from it about your own body and about how you can better mesh with your husband. And then talk about it. For the price of these two books, which is basically the cost of dinner at Chick-fil-A, you will have a resource that can help you start talking about these things and growing in this together. Look, no one has arrived in this area. None of us are beyond learning about how we can grow in our sexual relationship with our spouse. And look, also, there are different seasons in marriage when certain things don't work as well. During pregnancy, during you know, times where you have young children around, or, or menopause, or a stressful job transition, or whatever, be patient. Be creative. This is a lifelong journey of discovering and adapting. This idea that sex is going to be amazing the moment you get married, you know, for the 5% of you that that's true, awesome, more power to you. But for the rest, for whom it wasn't fireworks and mountaintops, that's okay. Because it's a lifelong journey of love. See, one of, one of the many negative impacts of porn is that it so often presents a picture of sex that's about power over others and about performance and technique when sex is not about power nor about technique. It's about love. It's about patience and kindness, learning about our own bodies as well as how to love our spouse sexually in a way that is meaningful for them. Now, please hear me. This is not a justification to make our spouse do something that we want, but they're not comfortable with. That's not loving. What is loving is to ask about and explore and discover what brings each other pleasure and to focus on that. 
which opens the door for a beautiful, growing experience of connected sex that is not one-sided. It is mutually satisfying. See, this is what gospel love looks like. This is what gospel love looks like. It is to focus on the needs of the other, but not in a demanding way, but rather a kind, self-giving way. Jesus gave his life for us. He focused on our needs rather than his own. And and that self-giving love is what opens the door for us to experience fullness of life in him. Could it be that sex in marriage is an opportunity for us to grow in self-giving love? In self-giving love. Not self-centered love, self-giving love. Now, again, for those of you who aren't married, but you want to be, I realize most of this has been directed at those of us who are married. But I hope, I hope you see from this that sex in marriage isn't simple. It is delicate. It is complicated. But some of the best things are. Right? Some of the best things are. The choices you are making now could make this part of your future marriage a lot more complicated and difficult or a lot more enjoyable. So be wise. If you do get married, remember to begin this part of your marriage with love and humility and selflessness and understanding and patience. You will be so glad you did. You know, some of the best sex advice for marriage comes from the pen of the Apostle Paul just a few chapters later in this letter. I just want to read this passage and think about it in light of what we've been talking about here. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Amen. Let's stand as we open our hearts just to respond to the Lord. We like to do this at the end of a message where we're going to pray a simple prayer in just a moment. Uh, It's an ancient prayer. Come Holy Spirit. And then we're just going to wait in silence to see what the Lord might want to be saying to us. Maybe it has to do with the message. Maybe not. Maybe there's something or a word or a phrase here from the song. There's something God wants to do in your heart. And our, our, what we're doing in this place is we're just opening our hearts to the Lord and saying, come Holy Spirit. <laughs> we're opening our hearts afresh to him. And this is our, sometimes we encourage you to have your hands open in a posture of receiving. And this is again where heaven and earth meet. It's right here in us. The Holy Spirit wants to meet us in this place. All right, so let's just quiet our hearts. And we're going to listen. We're going to pay attention. We're going to 
be open to whatever God might want to do. And I'm going to pray this prayer. So come, Holy Spirit. We, We invite you. We ask you to come. We wait on you. God, we want to say yes to you, Holy Spirit, to your love, to your truth. So the things you're speaking to us about, for those who are married, things you're speaking to us about our marriage, God, we want to say yes to you. There are things that you're inviting us into, maybe even single folks, just into our, in our terms of our sexuality and how we're stewarding that right now in this season. God, we want to say yes to you. I just had this sense, just keep in an attitude of prayer, but I had this desire really as I was praying over this message before a few hours ago, I just had this desire to pray into marriages, and especially into this area. And I had three, a picture come to mind, but three different parts of this picture. So in this picture, just this beautiful gift that God had given us, a married couple, there's this beautiful gift. And for some, this gift is just on a shelf. It's just, it's a gift God's given, but it's just, on a shelf, it's not being enjoyed or opened. And then I saw a picture in the same picture of a gift, this same beautiful gift, but it had kind of been trampled on and stepped on. And in the third example, I saw couples that they'd opened the gift, but there was more to explore and discover. And, and it's really Jesus is wanting to minister to each of those situations. And so, Lord, I want to just pray, first of all, for any marriages where this area of our, the marriage has just kind of gotten shelved, maybe for busyness, or maybe there, there's emotional disconnection. There, there are things that need to be looked at, maybe medical issues. Just there's a reason but it's kind of been shelved and not talked about it. I want to pray, Lord, that you would you would take it off the shelf and help these marriages talk about it patiently and in kindness and honestly and authentically to talk about it, Lord. And that you would bring healing and life into those conversations, Lord. And I pray also for marriages where it has been damaged. There's been damage done, relational damage or from the past or whatever. And God, I pray for those marriages. You would, the sense I got in this picture was Jesus just pouring out the oil of healing. And I pray for the oil of your healing 
to be poured out, God. Holy Spirit, that you would be bringing restoration and healing and forgiveness and, and um, life and kindness and understanding at new levels. And I pray too for marriages where, yeah, they've unwrapped this gift or enjoying it, but there are more things to discover to go deeper in this area. And I pray blessing on all three of these categories of marriage. Would you pour out your spirit upon the sexual relationship in every marriage represented here, every marriage watching? Pour out healing, pour out peace, pour out joy. As they journey together in this experiencing this gift that you've given. So God, we, we want to open our hearts to you, not just about marriage, Lord, thanks for your grace, and this is a very specific topic, but the rest of the, the, this time together, we, we want to open our hearts to you and whatever you would want to do in us as we worship you, as we respond to you. And so God, we offer our hearts we offer our hearts. This place up front here is, um, it's available for, if you're kind of feeling the Holy Spirit is stirring something in you, it doesn't have to be in any way related to the message. If you just feel like God is stirring something in you and you want, would love to have a prayer person partner with you in that, um, we have a couple prayer team members. I'll be available as well. We'll just come alongside and we'll just bless what God's doing. You don't have to say anything. And if we sense the Lord saying something to us, we'll, we'll release that to you and you can pray about that. So I just want to invite that. Or you can stay in your seat and just continue to receive from the Lord. But this is, this is Holy Spirit time, just to encounter God. So we love you. We welcome you here, God. We worship you. We open our hearts to you and all that you want to do in us. We love you, Lord. Thank you, God. Coming out of this message, I know there's a lot to process. And we just want to remind you, as always, we're here for you. If you need, if you feel prompted that maybe you need some help, we have marriage mentors, we have counseling, we have pastoral care, uh, please reach out. I know that uh, some we shouldn't navigate things alone. And we're here for you to answer any questions you might have, to pray for you. Uh, so please reach out. And also for the resources that Pastor Alan mentioned in his message, it's down below. You can just click on the link and you're going to see everything that he mentioned. So thank you for watching and have a blessed day.